Welcome to the Sunday Sermon Podcast of First United Methodist Church in Opelika. We'd love for you to join us for worship each Sunday at 9 o'clock or 10.30 a.m. To learn more about First United Methodist, visit us online at fumcopelika.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at fumcopelika. Thanks for tuning in. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 12. Uh, at the same time, I want to invite you to get that journal out that Patrick mentioned uh, just a minute ago, and you can turn to page 17. Uh, there's a place for you to take notes on the sermon today. If you don't have your journal, uh, you can grab your life group uh, insert there, and you can take notes uh, as we go along so that you'll be able to talk about it in uh, Sunday school or Uh, your life group or wherever uh, you might want to reflect on this. Uh, This morning as we read from Mark 12, I'm going to read uh, verses 41 uh, through 44, Mark 12, 41 through 44. If you don't have your Bible, I encourage you to get your phone out uh, so you can mark it, highlight it, save it uh, on your Bible app or whatever. Uh, And as we read the word of the Lord together out of reverence for the the Lord and his word, would you stand with me now uh, as we listen together for the word of the Lord? And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, you are a giving God. You give grace in abundance. You give love in abundance. You give mercy in abundance. You do not spare even the best you have to give for us. And so, Lord, we come this morning open to you, knowing that you are a God who pursues us, knowing that you are a God who wants us, And Lord, we invite your work in our lives. Lord, we pray right now together uh, as one body, come Holy Spirit, guide us into your truth. Lord, we know that you promise immeasurably more, that you want to fill us to the fullness of God. And so Lord, use these moments as we reflect on your word to accomplish that purpose. Uh, Lord, we need your help. And so we ask for it now. And we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Even before I came uh, to Opelika last summer, uh, I had heard that there was a sanctuary renovation project coming. Uh, I think part of the reason that I heard this is because in my previous church, we were renovating a sanctuary when the bishop called. Maybe that's why he decided that I should come to Opelika, was because I had sanctuary renovation uh, already on my resume. 
Uh, no, I had heard about it because they were so excited. And then uh, some of the conversations I had with Robin Wilson before I came, she told me about the work of the building committee and how they had been uh, pressing forward all through COVID to uh, do the work of figuring out how all this was going to work. And uh, when the kind of formal vote of passing the plans and all the details happened, I had heard that. And it did not take long when I got to Opelika in July for some of the leaders who were helping make that happen come to me and say, how are we actually going to make this happen? How are we going to see that we can do this, that we can really start it? And so uh, there were so many people kind of working behind the scenes that we began to say, what do we need to put in place so that the sanctuary renovation can become a reality? Uh, as the building committee and the finance committee and the dif different folks were beginning to work, the staff was beginning to work on it too. All with this assumption that come January, we really were going to renovate the sanctuary that has been being talked about reno being renovated for 20 plus years now. Uh, the staff began to wrestle with what would we do when we lost a good portion of our space on Sunday morning? What would we do when we were trying to figure out how to manage all the different things when we couldn't use the sanctuary and would lose the downstairs under the sanctuary? Uh, and so we had begun to come up with a plan for how we thought Sunday mornings might work. You're actually living that plan right now. But there seemed to be this hesitance in every conversation that was going about on about the sanctuary renovation to say, well, if we're actually going to do it, if we, we end up doing it, if we do renovate the sanctuary. And so it's like there was all this planning, but every time we would begin to press the gas down and say, okay, it's going to happen, there were people also pressing the brake down going, uh, I'm not so sure yet. And it was about the first week of November uh, when our church leadership had the kind of last formal official vote to authorize that it was going to happen, that the staff said, it's time for us to announce what the schedule will look like in January. And so the week came that we decided this was the week we would put it on social media, it would go in the bulletin, and uh, Patrick would announce it during the announcements that Sunday morning. All that week... The common refrain around the office was, okay, we're doing it. Okay, we're doing it. I think it was Patrick that said it first, but everybody began to say it. Uh, and it became that that Sunday morning seemed to kind of be the linchpin that launched us into the reality of this was actually going to happen. That up until then, it had been an idea. We had known we wanted to do it. We were actually working towards it. But it was the moment that we went public with the schedule that all of a sudden that dream and idea moved into the reality of this is actually going to happen. I wonder if in your life you can think of places where you have been dreaming of something happening, where you have had an idea of something you'd like to see happen in your life, where you've been anticipating and thinking about it, uh, and you've been working at it, but it took some special definitive action to make it become a reality. I think of a student who might be thinking about trying out for a team or auditioning for a play or a singing group. And they may be practicing or rehearsing or thinking about it. But until then, until they actually go sign up or go to the audition, it's not actually happening. I think about the way that people like to shop for homes on Zillow. Uh, maybe you've done that or you've heard of people who do that. That they love to look and they look and look. But there's something different about just looking and thinking about it and researching as to when you actually put in an offer on a house. 
I think about someone who may think that they want a different job, that they're uh, ready for something new in their life, and so uh, they've been researching different possibilities or looking at ways they might go back to school or all the different things they could do. But all of that is just theory or a dream until there's some event that pushes it into reality, like calling your boss and having a conversation. For the Sanctuary Project, it was publicizing that the schedule of what would actually happen when the renovation began. For you, it might be taking a step around a job or purchasing a house or trying out for something. With immeasurably more, there's a step that launches us into what God wants, that becomes that thing that beforehand, it's all dream or theory or idea. But with this one step, it will, be, it will launch us in to the immeasurably more that God wants for our life. Over these first few weeks of our Immeasurably More initiative, uh, we are working through a six-week sermon series uh, that really is about the foundation of Immeasurably More. Uh, We've said over and over again, I've already said it this morning, that Immeasurably More is about far more than renovating the sanctuary. It it is not just a catchy name of something to do so that we can renovate a building, so that we can just kind of go back to normal come the end of 2022. Immeasurably More is a two-year vision initiative about us stepping into the fullness of of what God wants for us. If you were here two weeks ago or you've gone back and listened on our podcast or watched on our video, then you know that we started by laying out that foundation text, the one that Patrick mentioned just a few minutes ago that we're all uh, being challenged to memorize. And, And we worked through Ephesians 3 because what we wanted to see was what is this immeasurably more that God is talking about? What is the immeasurably more that God wants to do in your life and in my life? And so we unpacked this idea of looking for a spiritual transformation that will happen in all of us that ultimately will lead us to the place of being filled with the fullness of God. And as we thought about that, we began to dream about the transformation that God wants to do in us. And as he does that transformation in our lives, about the impact uh, that he will use us and us as a church to make uh, in the lives of the people that matter to us and in the lives all across this community. As we kind of laid that foundation out, then each week, uh, up until we get to April 10th, we're taking kind of different disciplines or actions or lifestyles that you and I can adopt uh, as ways to help us live into that. So we kind of had the vision and the picture, the preferred future of what it is that we want to see. And then last week, we started by saying that there was one key uh, that would help us move into that, and it was trust. Uh, That as we actively work our trust muscles, as we grow uh, in leaning into God, God's uh, certainty and that we don't look at the circumstances around us and that we depend on him in active and real ways, that that's how we'll begin to experience immeasurably more. Today we look at another step, uh, another thing that really helps us build on our trust that will launch us into what it is that God wants to do in all of our lives as we live into this vision of the fullness of God that he longs to do for all of us. As Jesus was finishing his public ministry, uh, one of the last things that he did uh, was go into the temple there in Jerusalem uh, and have ongoing conversations with the religious leaders of that day. Uh, Now, 
for Jesus, this was an incredible thing. Uh, because the religious leaders from the very beginning had been opposed to what Jesus was about. Uh, he challenged their sense of comfort. He challenged their sense of privilege and power. Uh, and so these discussions, it would have just been easier for him to say, I'm not going to have anything to do with you anymore, and, and I'm going to leave you to your own, and I'm going to go do what I'm doing, and you just take care of yourself. But Jesus will not leave us alone. Uh, no matter, even if we resist or we're holding back, Jesus continues to pursue us. And so what we see Jesus doing uh, right before he gives himself up for us is he goes and he engages uh, the very people who are opposed to him, trying to, once again, to open the door to help them see what it was that God wanted to do in their life. And he had just finished this kind of lengthy interchange, going back and forth with these religious leaders, these people who were entrenched in what it was that they thought, uh, when he kind of finishes the, the last encounter he has, and it's almost like you can see him breathe a sigh of relief, like, whew, that was tough. Uh, and, and kind of one of the down moments that the Gospels show us, Jesus wanders his way uh, through the kind of the courtyard of the temple. It would have been this huge, massive area. And he finds kind of over to the side of the temple a place where he can sit down on a bench and literally just relax. Uh, what we see Jesus doing in the text that I read to you just a few minutes ago uh, is the age-old skill of people watching. Uh, that he's just sitting there. He's really not engaging anyone. He's just kind of observing what's going on. It looks like his disciples and some of the people who might have been around him have gone off and they're doing other things. Uh, and we just kind of get this camera on Jesus watching him watch other people. Uh, and it's this amazing text that I read just a few minutes ago that shows us a little bit about what immeasurably more is and how we step into it. So as Jesus is sitting there watching people, uh, what he notices is that he's directly across from the area of the temple that would have been called the treasury. Uh, and in the treasury, it was the place where they had their offering baskets. Now, they didn't do offering the way that we do it. They had 13 boxes uh, that would have been stationed there in this kind of portico area, and nine of those boxes would have been for what they called their temple tax. Uh, so there was a cost that was re required uh, for someone if they came to the temple that they had to give an offering. And so nine of the boxes would have been the place where people would have paid uh, the money that was expected. And then there would have been four boxes that were kind of voluntary. So uh, when you hear someone talk about that we give tithes and offerings, tithes are what they talk about, you kind of that expected part. Those would have been the things. And offerings were above and beyond that. And so Jesus is watching just kind of the interchange all around that. Uh, and what he sees is that he sees lots of people who are coming through that area and they're giving their offering. That they're coming up that they would drop their money in and then they would go on about the other things that they were doing at the temple. Uh, and as he's watching, the first thing that we see in this text that I read just a few minutes ago uh, that Mark points out to us is that Jesus notices that many rich people gave large sums. That's the first observation that Jesus shares, is that many rich people gave large sums. Now, if we're going to try and understand completely what it is that Jesus is talking, the thing that we don't need to do in this moment is to download our definition of 21st century rich into a first century Jewish text. Uh, because when you and I think rich in our world, in our age, uh, what we think about may not be exactly the representation of what's happening in this text. Uh, and so one of the things that we need to know is that rich in the Bible, rich particularly in the New Testament, is never solely about uh, having a large amount of financial resources or assets. Uh, that rich has more to do, uh, in addition to, to things like resources, with status or the 
option to trust in lots of things. Uh, So really at the core of being rich was about how many resources you have in which you can put your trust. So money becomes an easy one for us to think about uh, because in our world, particularly, what we tend to trust in is wealth and possessions. Uh, But in that day of age, you could have looked at family, you could have looked at culture, you could have looked at status, you could have looked at the hierarchy of the community, you could have looked like at official positions you had. And so there were all these different things. So when they talk about rich people, uh, they're really talking about people who had lots of options about where they could go and what they could depend on in their lives. And so anytime we see the word rich in the New Testament, and if you're taking notes, this is the kind of thing you might write down, because anytime we see the word rich in the New Testament, we kind of need to raise an eyebrow. Uh, Because it's always suspect. Because what happens is when you have people who are deemed rich, that means that they have lots of options of places that they can trust, is that it becomes very hard for them to fully yield themselves to God. That's why the only other time that this word rich gets mentioned in the Gospel of Mark is when Jesus says that it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person, someone who can trust in a lot of things, to enter into the kingdom of God. So anytime we see this idea rich, uh, we need to go, ooh, it's tough for, for, for someone who is rich uh, to, to fully embrace what God is doing. And we also need to think about that before we just apply our 21st century mindset, that, that for many of us in the, this room, we qualify as rich because we have family resources, we have financial resources, we have possessions, we have status, we have connections, we have friendships, we have lots of things. And so in the world of this, uh, we might be considered rich in that day and age. So the second thing that he says about these rich people is he says that the rich people put large sums into the offering. Uh, And it's important for us to know that Jesus in no way is critiquing what they're doing. Uh, that this is more just an observation, like he's taking notes on a tablet and he's like, oh, you know, lots of rich people putting in large amounts. Uh, and in fact, uh, rather than trying to, to put a meaning on this text that I don't think is there, uh, what we can, can recognize is that probably Jesus is saying that this is noteworthy, that this is actually a good thing, uh, that, that these rich people putting in large sums is something that's worth being celebrated. He's not trying to kind of backhandedly say, oh, they should be doing something different or, oh, This isn't good or, oh, there's a problem here. He's noticing this and it's worth noting. And this is a place where it's probably worth us stopping and just kind of talking about offerings in general. Uh, So offerings in, in general is, this is the way the kind of mission of God works is that anything you give to God is good. Say that with me. Anything you give to God is good. And so there's no measurement on this because the way the mission of God works is that if we give something to him, no matter what our motive is, no matter why we give it, no matter how much it is, is that if we give it to God, is it fuels God's mission. Uh, And so when we give to God, uh, whether you give $10 or you give $10 million, uh, God will use that to accomplish his mission. That's just kind of how the economy of God works and how the mission of God works. And so the first thing that Jesus points out here is that he sees these people uh, and that they give large sums of money. 
Well, the next thing he tells us begins to kind of expand what it is, he's, is, is that he is observing. Because after he sees these rich people giving large sums of money, uh, then he points out that he sees a widow who comes uh, and gives an offering. Now, when he talks about the widow, we need to stop, and before we just kind of assume that we know what widow means, uh, we need to think about kind of what it would have meant in that context too. Because a widow obviously meant that this is a woman whose husband has died, but in the first century world, uh, a woman that did not have a man in her life uh, was considered almost dead. Now, that isn't the way that the world should work, but that's the way that the world did work. Uh, And so what it is, is that when this woman lost her husband, uh, that she lost lots of the options and resources that she had. And particularly if she didn't have children, uh, or her children had somehow left the picture and she was left by herself, uh, then she really was beginning to be someone in contrast to the rich people who didn't have options of places to trust. Uh, That she only had herself, uh, and she didn't have the resources. On top of this, Jesus emphasizes when he talks about this widow that this widow was was poor. Uh, And so poor would have meant unnoticed, would have meant forgotten, would have meant no resources. And so all of a sudden there's this huge contrast between these rich people who have all kind of places that they can trust in their life and this poor widow who would have been without any connection, who would have been without any resources, who would have been without anything that they could turn. Uh, turn to. And so as Jesus points to this poor widow, what he notices about her is that she comes, and she comes to the offering boxes just like everybody else did. Uh, And the text tells us, in what I read just a minute ago, that she took two small coins and she dropped them in the offering box. And as soon as she put those offering boxes in, Jesus kind of begins to perk up. Now, the two small coins that the text tells us would have been worth the equivalent of a penny. Uh, That's a little overstated. Uh, Truthfully, the two coins that she put put in would have been equivalent to one-sixty-fourth of a day's wage. Now, just to give you some context for that, because you may not do that math uh, immediately, uh, is that one-sixty-fourth of a day's wage in Alabama, uh, if somebody makes minimum wage, which is an unlivable $7.25 an hour, uh, means that for one-sixty-fourth of a day's wage, that would be 90 cents. Uh, So just under a dollar, can't even buy a soft drink uh, uh, at a fast food restaurant. She takes 90 cents and she drops it into the offering box. And when Jesus sees her do this, he perks up. I mean, all of a sudden, he's kind of like lighting up like a Christmas tree. Uh, And we've seen Jesus do this. If you go back and read the Gospel of Mark, there are places when Jesus notices that someone is kind of getting close to understanding the magnitude of God or understanding the breadth of the kingdom of God or what it is that God wants to do in somebody's life, that, that they begin to kind of, that Jesus gets excited and animated like, ooh, you're close, you're there. And so he gets all excited watching this poor widow put 90 cents in the offering box. And so he kind of perks up and he looks around and he sees some of his disciples out in the courtyard there. He says, yo, come here, come here, come here, come here. And he wants the disciples to see what it is that he's seeing. And so he points out to this this woman who's standing there, maybe saying a prayer as she drops her her offering into the box. And what he says to the disciples is this straightforward commentary on what he's seen. And it goes like this, the widow put in more than the rich people. The widow put in more than the rich people. Now, at one level, Jesus is wrong. I mean, 
if you open up the offering box, and when they come in on Monday morning to count the offering and make the, don- the, the deposit at the bank, uh, when they count the offering, they've got two people there counting their ledger sheet and all that, they're going to add up the amounts that come in, and I'm sure she used a good United Methodist offering envelope, so it's had her name on it and you know, ha- had all that on it, and the rich people were using their offering envelopes. And so they're going to look at the ledger sheet, and they're going to go rich person number one, and they're going to look at the dollar amount, and then they're going to look at poor widow, and it's going to say 90 cents. And if you look at the ledger sheet, she didn't put in more. She put in a lot less. But what we begin to realize is that Jesus is pointing to something else that's going on in the act of generosity. That kind of like we talked about with trust last week. That kind of like we talked about how trust kind of moves beyond the circumstances we're in and begins to live and make decisions based on more than what we can see and touch in the moment. Generosity rises above our circumstances. And so the way that what we see that Jesus is taking note of these offerings isn't by the bank statement. Uh, the, the way we see that Jesus take notes, takes note of offering uh, is about something more going on than just who has the higher dollar value. And so Jesus unpacks this a little bit more to explain it. And he says, the rich people gave out of their excess, out of their surplus. Now again, we need to point out, Jesus isn't judging or shaming or critiquing any of that. He's just making an observation. He says, the rich people gave out of their excess, out of their surplus. But then he points to this poor widow, and he says, she gave out of her lack, or out of her poverty. That she gave out of a different place. Because the rich people giving out of their surplus and out of their excess they won't miss it. It doesn't impact them. It's not something uh, that at the end of the day, they'll go, oh, you know, what am I going to do? I won't be able to go to the movies tonight because I made that generous offering. But the poor widow said she gave everything she had. And so what Jesus is pointing us toward, toward and what he wants us to see is that generosity that's born out of a life impacting devotion is worth more than generosity that's given out of surplus. Let me say that again. Generosity that's born out of a life-impacting devotion is worth more than generosity that's born out of surplus. Now, I need to go back and say again, anything we give to God is good. Jesus isn't critiquing any of the gifts. He's pointing to a deeper and bigger reality that we need to understand. He's pointing to something that happens when we give out of a devotion that says we will give in a place that we can feel it, that we will give in a way that impacts us. Because what begins to happen in this place is that we recognize that generosity is a way for us to live out our trust. So last week, we talked about trust as this ability to say that God is here, that he's in charge, and that he will fulfill our promises. Uh, We looked at trust as this idea that we can grow in this place, that we can depend on who God says he is, and that we can rest in that. And generosity begins to be a way that we can put that trust into action. Another way to say it is it's a way to put our money 
where our mouth is. That it's so easy for us to articulate things like God is the most important thing in my life. It's so easy to say that I depend on God for everything. It's so easy to say that I trust him with my plans. And when we go through hardship and struggle and when we're all these things, it's easy for us to say one thing. But then oftentimes without even recognizing it, our actions end up saying that we trust or depend on other things. That we end up acting like the rich people in the story where we depend on our family or we depend on our friends or we depend on the things that are around us. And again, that's not bad. But for us to give in a way that stretches us to, from a devotion of, of, of a life-impacting devotion, it begins for us to say we actually are putting our trust into action. Giving from a place of life-impacting devotion launches us into immeasurably more. Let me say that again. Giving from a place of life-impacting devotion launches us into immeasurably more. It's like posting the schedule for the renovation publicly for the very first time. It's like finally deciding that you're going to call your boss and have that conversation. It's like stopping shopping on Zillow and putting an offer in on a new house. That up until one point, it's all a dream and an idea and a good thought. But something about giving in this, out of this life-impacting devotion, catapults us into something greater than we could even imagine. Now, when we talk about this, we're not just talking about the immeasurably more that is impacting the sanctuary. Uh, sure, I mean, a, a message about generosity will, will help that, but I'm talking about the immeasurably more that is the vision for this whole initiative. Because what I've heard from this church over the last nine months is that we're hungry to grow, is that we're hungry for what God wants to do, that we're hungry for the vision of more that God wants to write in our lives, that we want transformation, that we want impact, that we want to be filled with the Spirit, and that we want to be filled to the fullness of God. And these kind of actions, like giving from the place of life-impacting generosity, is what launches us into immeasurably more. Now, I've done this long enough to know that anytime a preacher starts talking about money, people kind of get antsy, especially when there's a $6 million initiative hanging in the air. But let me just say this really clearly. This is not about the money. This is about your heart. And I love the line of Andy Stanley that says, God isn't trying to get your money. It's all already his. If he wanted it, he just take it. He's just trying to make sure that it doesn't get you. Money and how we use it is a reflection of our heart and our values and our priorities. Jesus doesn't talk about money five to one over prayer in the Gospels because he's trying to get it. We don't ever see him pass an offering plate. He talks about money five to one over prayer because he doesn't want money 
to get you. And so the reason that we talk about things like generosity is because in generosity, it's a place where we can enact our faith that's some kind of supercharged way. And the amazing thing, when we begin to give out of this place of life-impacting devotion, is that when we give from this place, is that we grow. Is that something happens in us. I mean, I've heard testimony after testimony from people in this room and in this church who've talked about the ways that you cannot outgive God. That they would take a step in saying that they wanted to be more generous, whether it was giving to the church or, or, or giving to some other you know, place, that they stretched themselves in that, and that somehow God met them in that. That they felt a greater sense of peace that God provided for them, that the, you know, a door opened that was unexpected. And we're not buying God's blessings, but it's this supercharged thing about when we put our trust into action, when we give from a place that impacts us, that all of a sudden it puts us in a different category and relationship with God. Giving from a place of life-impacting devotion launches us into immeasurably more. And so what do we need to do? I want to challenge you to do one thing. I want you to give sweaty palm gifts. I want you to give sweaty palm gifts. My family and I go to a camp in Texas every summer that's uh, just incredible. It's run by this great ministry that we've uh, come to love over our years living in Texas. And inevitably, uh, every year at some point in the midst of the camp, they'll have one of their development directors come and they'll uh, talk about fundraising and they'll tell stories about who, uh, people who've given generously to this camp and the impact that it's had. And then they'll ask for uh, donations and uh, that kind of thing. And they told the story uh, last summer when they were there, they told the story about giving sweaty palm gifts. As the director of development told the story, and as he, he was telling the story, uh, he said, I always know God is up to something in somebody's life when they give a sweaty palm gift. Because they've reached a place where they're no longer giving out of their comfort, and they're giving out of a tangible act of trust. Now here's the thing about sweaty palm gifts, is there is nobody in this room that that doesn't apply to. Because no matter what your journey with God is, no matter where you are in your relationship with God, even if you're uncertain about your relationship with God, you can take this step. And I believe that this promise of Scripture is true. And that as you take this step to give out of a life-impacting devotion, that you will meet God in a new way. That it's just something about God's economy. And so whether you've never given before at all, for you, a sweaty palm gift may be the first check you ever write and you'll be like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. I can't do this. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And you're going to take that step, and it's going to be a, a, a challenging thing, and it's going to change you. Or, or for many of you, maybe you've become a habitual giver, that you've said, you know, that's just something I do, and I'm used to it, and I, and I can live. And so for you, it's a step to take. I love the story that Jeff Hilliard told, that Tim Thompson, I think, is the one who actually taught, uh, about learning uh, to, to give to the point of a tithe. So a tithe is giving the, the first 10% of what, God give, of what you get from God, uh, that you give that back to him. And so for some people, you may be at the place where your step of a sweaty palm is taking a step toward that tithe. Maybe it's 1%, maybe it's 2%. I don't know what it is. You know what sweaty palm is in your life better than I do. What I know is that God will meet you when you give a sweaty palm gift. And for some of you, it may be taking a step to say, I need to get to that place that my palms start sweating a little bit. 
And for others of you, you may have been very generous. You, you may have given in lots of, and you may have given in sweaty palm ways. But what I know is that God always keeps challenging us. And so we can never get to the place that we're so comfortable that this doesn't apply to us. And so for you and me, wherever you may find yourself, we can say, Lord, what is that sweaty palm gift? And help me give it. Now, I just want to add one more thing because I know that people have been hurt uh, by the church talking about money. I pray that that has not been the case at this church. I haven't been here long enough to know if that's true. But if for some reason you can't hear this without some story in your mind running uh, about the church and money and all these kind of things, then I want to challenge you to give that sweaty palm gift, but give it to someone else. Because this isn't about the church. This is about your heart. This is about the immeasurably more that God wants to do. And I just believe that if we'll cultivate the life of immeasurably more inside of us, we'll never have to worry about money at First United Methodist Church. Can you imagine the impact if this church becomes a church of sweaty palm gift, life-impacting devoted givers? Can you imagine the impact, not just in the church, but all across the community? Can you imagine your neighborhood? Can you imagine uh, the places that you go? Can you imagine the ministries in our community? Can you imagine the things that we be impacted as we put our trust into action by the way we give. God wants to do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine in your life. He wants to bring about transformation greater than you can even conceive, and he wants to have impact in you and through you more than you could calculate in your wildest dreams. Giving from a place of life-impacting devotion will launch you into that immeasurably more. Pray with me, please. Lord, your generosity knows no bounds. I think about this last public act of Jesus in the Gospels before he gave the ultimate gift of his life. And Lord, I think about the work that you want to do in us and in our hearts and in our lives. And I think about my wildest dreams, and then I know they don't even touch your wildest dreams. And so Lord, we just take this moment to surrender ourselves to you. We say again, come Holy Spirit and work in our lives. Or give us courage, build our trust muscles, and Lord, help us take the step to give in a way that mirrors how you have first given to us. Lord, give us a vision of what it is you may long to do in us and through us as we become people who give out of a heart devoted to you. Lord, we need you. We want your way more than our own way. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.